Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Kevin Holdsworth's new book is about the Ona Mountains, Utah's loftiest range. It's called Redstone Heart, and it celebrates the peak bagging experience and shares a little lore. The highest named peaks, the notorious nine, form a goal, but as with the Uinta stream, there's much meandering in the book through forest and meadow. Peaks and routes are pulled from life's rucksack and uh, were carried along as we watch a young fool somehow survive to a riper age. Kevin Holdsworth is assistant professor of English at Snow College. He's taught higher education for 20 years. Uh, he's taught at Western Wyoming Community College and Weber State University. He's the author previously of Good Water and Big Wonderful Notes from Wyoming. And uh, he joins us from uh, southwestern Utah, I believe. Kevin Holdsworth, welcome to the program. Hi, Tom. It's great to talk to you again. Good good to have you on. Uh, so you're uh, you're in Cedar City these days, are you? Or where are you living? Yes, I am. Um, in wonderful, sunny cedar, no inversion. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful. Boy, I wish we could say that up here. Uh, yeah. So there's, there are advantages. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so with, with snow, are you teaching virtually these days, or what? what uh, what's happening with snow college? Uh, live. It's live, okay. Yeah, we're actually able to go live, and uh, some, some online, but we've been wearing masks and keeping clean and keeping distant, and it's been going reasonably well. Yeah, well, good. Well, I wonder if we could uh, jump right in and have you read something. Um, this is from early in the book, page 17. Um, and it's a, it's a trip you have, you're going with three friends. Um, you're gonna, you're gonna uh, bag a peak, right? Uh, and, uh, so right. I wonder if I could have you read, uh, from starting from the bottom of page 17, the first full paragraph, uh, the last full paragraph, they're not wanting to see them enjoy. And then through the, you know, th- through most of, uh, page 18. So setting this up, so you're you're out with some friends, you're you're going to uh, climb a peak but uh, uh encountering some problems. It's March, I think, which is a problematic time. Tell tell us why. Well, um it was a dry year and you know, there's snow and there's not snow. It's pretty easy to go on snow. It's pretty easy to go not on snow, but to get to together um it ends up being difficult. You have to carry skis or snowshoes on this particular trip. I decided just to carry snowshoes. They're lighter and easier, but my, my friends were on skis. And so, yeah, uh, we, we, we separated, not really by choice. They just started skiing down, ripping it up some run, and I was up on the ridge kind of twiddling my thumbs, knowing I couldn't go down there. <laughs> so uh, they stopped halfway down. I hollered that I'm going back the way we'd come and would see them back at camp. Be careful, you too. And so we separate, not wanting to see them enjoy their few remaining great and glorious turns. I scamper around the corner, regain our previous route, and begin to feel myself very much alone. In such a situation, you gain a sudden surge of adrenaline. Rather than plunging ahead and wasting energy, I sit down on a rock, have a snack and some water, and begin talking to myself. The deal's pretty simple. You're alone get down, get back, you have a wife and children, be safe. To assuage my concern and fear, I try to visualize each section of the route, breaking into manageable pieces. But I'm nervous about the talus face and the muddy slopes below. At least I'll be able to get down the steep parts soon. The lowland forest will be easier. 
Following the blessed tracks, I flip-flop, another name for snowshoeing, my way down the upper slopes. I cross the flat and notice a frozen lake we'd missed on the way up, snake around some groves of spruce and fir, and shy away from moats and melts out. I don't want to rest at the top of the crux, the bare, steep, loose talus face, because it just puckers me up. I only want to get down. I can see our morning's tracks tiny at the bottom. The face is longer and looser on the way down. I tell myself, you've been down much worse stuff before. Pick up your pole, Rambo. Take it easy. You're flailing. Watch the pack almost there, gingerly, carefully. At the bottom, I noticed it had only taken 20 minutes to get down the face, but they were rock-rich, rickety minutes. Sweat-soaked, I shed a layer. Yeah, and, that, uh, continue on by myself. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Um, so, so it's interesting. Uh, I was struck by the, you know, I, I just uh, picture you and your companions, um, you know, bold, no fear. Um, <laughs> and uh, it struck me. So the adrenaline hits. Uh, part of the problem you're, you face is you didn't go to your original destination because you're concerned about darkness, uh, you know, uh, time coming back. So you want to be, you want to be careful. Uh, but there's there is risk taking here, right? And and you recognize Absolutely. that. I mean, when when I wrote this, I was forty seven, and uh, you know, I had become cautious in my I should say I have become cautious in my old age. When I was young, I didn't have much fear, which was very foolish sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's good to get a good thrill, take a little risk. Um, but you know, yeah, you you have to be aware that you could into trouble the other thing here is that you you write uh you don't want to take these adventures alone right and not just for companionship uh for safety absolutely yeah uh, part, part of it for me and i think for a lot of people who enjoy the outdoors is is the social aspect you know you go with your friends or your family and you make memories and and uh it's it's of course safer too but it's it's fun i mean in utah we're blessed to have so so much great outdoor places to roam and we and I, we do it with our family and our friends it's better that way yeah uh i was struck again i wonder if just have you read a paragraph just over the page page 19 the bottom there a little fear a little fatigue yeah uh, which i don't spend a whole lot of time in the outdoors but i can imagine some of these problems right that you that you run into and probably repeatedly at least there's the danger of this on every trip yeah and uh, you know particularly in the uintas because Everything looks the same after a, a point. You know, you have a, a red ridge and some trees, and, you, you know, it's very, I think, pretty easy to get disoriented. But anyway, a little fear, a little fatigue, difficult footing, and unclear landmarks can disorient a person. This is how people get lost and get hurt. You begin to lose a sense of scale. Why is it taking so long? Where is the darn stream? I can hear it but it can't really be that far away, can it? Where's the red cliff? You know, the one landmark red cliff. The main trail is on the other side, isn't it? Is it? Bad weather, fatigue, and being alone or with certain companions can intensify the effect. Fortunately, though, the late afternoon weather is fine. Yeah, and this the story ends happily. Everybody comes back. But I, I guess, you know, there's always the possibility you're going to have to go out and 
maybe search for your companions. You do say that everybody checked everybody else. Do you have matches? That's the, the key thing. It really is. You and yeah, you get in the habit, you know, because you forget things, but you don't forget matches or a lighter. Yeah. And you say if you... And, ha- yeah, it's... it's I'm sorry. I, I'm, I was saying if, you, if you're out there, if you get caught out there, there is, you know, fuel, there is wood uh, in, in this cold environment, but you're going to have a warm front and a freezing back. If, uh, you're going to have a, a hard night, even with a fire. Absolutely. You don't You don't want to be Rulon Gardner and not have a lighter. Yeah, it'll be a cold night, but you'll, you'll be okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know... Uh, yeah, go ahead. You do have to keep in mind that, yeah, you're with a group. If somebody doesn't show up, uh, you're responsible to some extent to try to find them and try to, you know, render first aid if they're hurt, et cetera. That's part of, uh, I think, the, the, the kind of code. And you, you, you have to be willing to help strangers, too. There's certainly many stories about people in the mountains helping other people. You just, you just do it. You mm-hmm. know, so, uh, you know, we've illustrated some of the potential problems. What, uh, so that brings me to my question, why? Why, why, the, why the lure of this? And obviously, you've, you've got the love. Well, I mean, you, you grew up in Vernal. Uh, you know the Uintas, at least, uh, you know, that area. And you, did you fall in love with the, that area when you were a kid, going up there and picnicking or camping, hiking, hunting? Yeah, yeah, it's very, very beautiful. I mean, the, 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 the beauty is, is and it, kind of that sense of, you know, really being out, right, out of your life yeah. and, and out in nature. Yeah. 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 And so... Uh, you know, the U.S. is like any other mountain range. You, you're going to pay some dues walking in the forest, but once you get into the high country, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful, and, and you want to, you know, be up there, and you want to go back and, and experience it. And, and so, you know, deciding, well, we're going to climb this peak, that just means we'll have a long day hike, and halfway up will be the top, hopefully. And, and it's just a, it gives kind of a reason to do it. People would maybe want to hike to a certain lake to go fishing or or check out the geology in some canyon. You got seems to me you have to have a reason. Although aimless wandering is fine, but for many years it was yeah, let's go back a peak and we'll see what we what we find along the way. And that's the why. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know what animals you might see or what the stream crossings might be like, or you know what what things are out there. So it's the adventure along the way is the main attraction. I think so. I mean, you get to the top, okay, well, we're at the top, it looks like every other mountain, and now we have to get down, but it's, yeah, what, what, what's along the way for, for you know, in, in, in mountains that are not, you know, the Himalayas or the Alps, where you might really get into trouble, they're pretty friendly mountains, except for the weather. Yeah. I want to, uh, before, I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the unique aspects of the Uinta Mountains. Um, but you mentioned, uh, you know, the the uh, the fauna that you're going to meet along the way, some of the some of those somewhat dangerous. Uh, in a, a bio that I found, you say uh, you've been dive bombed by hawks and falcons, attacked and injured by a Uinta ground squirrel, <laughs> stalked by a cougar, and chased over half a mile by a rogue black bear. So I want to hear about some of these things. You you <laughs> you were you were attacked and injured by a ground squirrel. Sure. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, um, it was in the Wind Rivers in 2006. Uh, we were walking from the, the south end to the north end, and I, th- I think it was the third day, and my friends were way ahead of me, and I was walking alone across this kind of sandy flat, just minding my own business with my hiking poles, you know, plodding along, and 
and I heard this kind of a whistly sound over to my left. And, you know, people I would say before I knew it, well, before I knew it, this creature was running at me. It jumped up and landed on my right leg and then ran off. And I, I was so shocked that, you know, I, I was just stunned. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think. I sort of, I think I sort of growled at it, you know, and it went away. And, uh, you know, I could, tell, I could tell it was a ground squirrel. So I looked down at my leg, and it's bleeding. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get bubonic plague, and it's going to ruin the whole trip. <laughs> but um, I was able to kind of part the blood and see that it was just the, uh, the claws, the front two claws of this ground squirrel <laughs> that, uh, that attacked me. And I, I did some reading, and, and in, the, in the mating season, the males are agonistic, they say, you know. They, they're, they're defensive of their territories, so I just happened to be walking through this uh, squirrel's territory, and he didn't take it very kindly and attacked mm. me. Wow. Yeah. Uh, now I'm you know, pl- and, Go ahead. Sorry. Mm. You know, I wanted to keep the blood on my leg to show my buddies. <laughs> they didn't really care about it. It's like, yeah, whatever, but it was quite exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm flashing on Monty Python, you know, where... Is well, it, there's that for it, sure. Is it behind you know? the rabbit? No, it is the rabbit. But I guess that a an, an aggressive uh, male squirrel can inflict damage. Obviously, um, oh yeah, tear your head clean off. You could <laughs> tear your head clean off. That's right. Um, you've been stalked by a cougar. That's got to be distressing. Um, yeah. Uh, in in the Redstone Heart, uh, there is a scene where uh, Larry Darkness is. Uh, is ahead of us, and, and we uh, come upon his tracks and then notice that there are mountain lion tracks right on top of his tracks. So uh, he, he was stalked that time. Hmm. Uh, the time that, that I was stalked was also in the Wind Rivers. It was, uh, uh, we were following a bighorn sheep trail down the southwest uh, face of this peak. When we got to the bottom of the peak, we rested in uh, one of those nice groves we always call the land of the glass pine cones. Don't get me sidetracked. But as we stood up after a 15-minute break, we heard this crash, and we looked across the way, and we saw the orange um, cougar. Um, and then it ran and stopped. Uh, you were, we were sort of stunned. We didn't know what it was at first, and, and then it was sort of like, well, it couldn't be a deer or an elk because it stopped. They'll always clomp off. And that color was orange, and that was a cougar that was watching us all the way down that that uh, mountain face. And then, because I'm such an idiot, it's like, well, why don't we check out, see if we can find some tracks? And my buddy Sean said, um, how large is a cougar? <laughs> I said, well, 160 pounds, 180 pounds. He said, look, why don't we get out of here? And mm-hmm. uh, we did. Yeah, that, that's the smart thing. In Redstone Heart, you talk about the, that you have, uh, you know, stumbled upon caches, right, of, I guess, cougars will... Stash a kill for, uh, for example, you said you know the the prudent thing is you, you don't want to wait around uh, that that area. Uh, no, no, you do see tracks uh, in the Uintas and other other places, of course, in the winter, and uh, it's always I think a shock um, when you see how big their paws are. Mm. Um, you know, and they're they're one of the creatures that hurt you and so it does make it more exciting they don't want to see you cougars are going to run away from you almost every time but mm. the chance of running into that or, or, or a bear is quite fun yeah 
You do write in the Redstone Heart about uh, bobcats. You say the a little more easily easy to maybe safer to, to coexist. You'll you'll see that bobcat has been following your tracks on you know as you come back, and maybe vice versa. Yeah, you always see the the tracks out skiing, and and uh, at Brianhead where we ski now, we see lots of uh, bobcat tracks. But yeah, they'll. If you if you go somewhere and then leave and come back a few days later, you'll see the bobcats use your ski track or your or, or your snowshoe track, which they should, yeah, mm. right? Pack a trail and share it. Yeah. I've only seen a bobcat in in real life a couple of times. They're of course very secretive, but uh, you see the tracks a lot. Yeah. Well, and you say you've been uh, you've been chased over half a mile by a rogue black bear. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mentioned that because it was so fresh the last time I was on. There, there were uh, uh, myself and, and Jennifer, my wife, and Sean and Laura and their two kids and, and our blind dog. And we would, you know, to make a long story short, we were hiking around up on Boulder Mountain in uh, central Utah, kind of training for a backpacking trip. And uh, uh, we came upon this bear, and it just would not leave. Normally, you know, when you see a black bear you throw a rock at it it'll run away you scream it'll just be you know gone in a second but this one wouldn't it, it just sat there and stared at us and um it's like okay we're going to go down like muskox in a group and we're going to go down this meadow and we're going to get out of here and uh which is what we did but it was a long meadow and with uh, uh each step we kind of we're walking a little faster, and it was right, right out, right on our tail. Um, Sean and Jennifer and I all looked around at the one point, and we could see it. This beautiful sunlit bear grass and a cinnamon-colored um, black bear, kind of loping uh, along with us and making this woof, woof sound. Um, and when we got to the bottom of the meadow, it was the bottleneck where the trees, you know, kind of pinched in and it's like okay this is where it's going to jump us if it's going to anyway we finally got to the cars and it was just still standing there watching us um and we drove away from there uh, as fast as we could yeah wow and it was a, it was a rogue it was a rogue bear um it happens they lose their fear of humans earlier in the day it had been terrorizing a, a campground and um you know it, it's uh the DWR has to take care of them, and, and, and that's too bad. But it's you know it's it's not safe. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into the discussion, but once you've been chased by a black bear, I think you sort of change your attitude a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty frightening. <clears throat> I would imagine. You now we had two kids and a dog, mm-hmm. and it's like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So what is the just by the way what what's the protocol? What 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 do they teach folks to when you if you encounter a black bear? I guess a non rogue kind of a regular black bear. Right, and you know, uh, I will answer the question. You know, the grizzlies different. There aren't grizzlies in Utah, as far as we know. Uh, but a black bear is like a big dog. You just scare it away. It, it will. It will not charge. You know, except one in a thousand times. And if you shout and you uh, throw rocks at it, it'll, it'll, you know, get get out of there real quick. Mm. Um, grizzly bear is a whole different deal. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like say to maybe not in Utah, but but uh, folks may encounter grizzly bears. So so it's a it's a different protocol with grizzly bears, right? Yeah, it's like you, you begin to pray. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Make sure yeah. you have bear spray, I suppose. You know. 
That might help. Yeah, and you know, whenever we, you know, we, when when uh, we go into the mountains backpacking, we take bear spray and and firecrackers and, and stuff like that. Just this one particular day in Boulder Mountain, we were not prepared. Uh, I'm not sure it would have mattered. I mean, it would have been fun to spray the bear, but <laughs> it was a, it was a scary experience. But it just wouldn't stop, you know. Right. Let's take a break. We'll come back, uh, get in some more passages from Redstone Heart. The uh, subtitle is Scrambling High Uenta Peaks. The author is Kevin Holdsworth, who's joining us for the hour, and we'll have more following this. I'm Greg Dalton. On the next Climate One, Aaron Brockovich takes on the climate crisis. Climate change will be about our response, our preparedness, our defending ourselves. And how everyday choices may impact the planet more than you think. If I eat local, can I wear local? If I eat organic, am I wearing organic? Individual choice, collective action on the next Climate One. This morning at 10 o'clock on UPR. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This week on Livewire, Roman Mars and Kurt Kolstead from the 99% Invisible podcast, plus Shayla Lawson is major. And whatever happened to Colin Hay, that guy from Men at Work? Oh, he's on our show this week, playing us some music. Don't miss the Livewire House Party from PRX. Saturday evenings at 5 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. And just a correction, Climate One is coming up at 11 o'clock rather than 10. Living on Earth comes up at 10. Thanks for joining us for Access U Time. Tom Williams. Uh, we're talking with Kevin Holdsworth. Uh, he uh, teaches at Snow College. He's assistant professor of English uh, there and is joining us from Cedar City. Uh, his new book's about the Uinta Mountains, Utah's loftiest range. It's called Redstone Heart, Scrambling High Uinta Peaks. And we're pleased to have Kevin Holdsworth on uh, for the hour. Uh, so, Kevin Holdsworth, I want to get into uh, talking about how you got into first the outdoors and then the, the Uintas. Uh, came to love uh, this particular area. Um, so I, I like uh, the, this particular chapter's title, Sister Donna Finds an Activity for Young Kevin. Sister Donna, in this case, is your mother, right? <laughs> so you're you're raised in a, a Latter Day Saint home, you know the dominant religion, the dominant culture in Utah. Um, I guess, I guess, and you write that uh, she encouraged, I guess, your dad or encouraged you to get out and learn skiing, thinking that she could wear you out on Saturdays and you'd behave yourself on Sunday, right? <laughs> That's right. That was the plan. <laughs> it didn't work. It sounds like. <laughs> well, it, it it sort of worked, but uh, you know. Ironically, it introduced me to uh, uh, the wide world that uh, that was just a little bit different from uh, the strict, uh, a little bit more strict uh, situation at the local ward. And uh, yeah, for me, it just opened the whole door to to nature and outdoor activity. And and uh, you know, growing up in Salt Lake, I'd climb up to some ridge or some peak and look down on the valley, and I knew where I wanted to be, and it was up in the mountains. <laughs> Didn't exactly work. As you, right, right. What? By the way, what did your parents over the years? What did What did they think of your? Obviously, the outdoor bug bit with you. Well, and you know, my father had it bad too. He just was a depression kid, you know, mm-hmm. and and he didn't get to go out. Um, so, uh, you know, when I started going out a lot, you know, he he 
I think he supported that he he thought, you know, I wish I could have done that when I was young, but you know, we were so poor, blah 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 blah, and it was all, of course all true. You know, um, the greatest generation suffered a, a lot, uh, you know, a lot more than we did, and we got to have a lot more fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, outdoor skiing, uh, I guess, you know, hiking, climbing, uh, all of that, uh, mostly, I would imagine, beginning in the Wasatch uh, Range. When did you uh, turn your gaze toward the the Uintas? Yeah, you know, um, to, to me, that was, that was a, just a huge hinge in my life. I love the Wasatch. Uh, I ride here. I served my mission at Brighton, <laughs> which was a different kind of mission. Uh, but, you know, even back in the 1970s and 1980s, it was, I don't want to say crowded, but it was getting pretty popular. And if you didn't want to go out and see a lot of people, a lot of dudes and dudettes, it wasn't that far to drive to the Uintas. Um, and there you didn't have that situation. You may maybe had some snowmobilers, but certainly not, you know, a lot of granola pinheads out there. Um, you know, I think a similar thing was, was the case in Logan, but Logan's, you know, has not ever gotten quite as popular as Salt Lake. You know, if you go out in the Wasatch today, backcountry skiing, everything gets tracked out in a couple of days. Things that, you know, back in the day, we wouldn't even ski if you just get, uh, you know, lots and lots of really, really good skiers. So if you wanted something else, you could find it. Right. Still can. Still can. So, so you write, I'm just going to read this for uh, just a brief paragraph here. For the mountaineer, the Uenta's great benefits are elevation, remoteness, and a richness of wildlife. Talus, a collection of rock debris, is the drawback. You won't find many grassy slopes or graveled sidewalks, but you, fell, you will cross many boulders. So tell me about the Uenta's. The, the Uenta's are unique in, in some ways. Uh, I think people will be familiar with the fact that this is like one of two East-West-oriented uh, major ranges, right? Uh, along with the sure. Brooks, Brooks yeah. Range in Alaska. Uh, what else about the Uintas? Well, they're, they're, the rock is very old. Uh, granite, you know, which is more typical of our Rocky Mountains, is uh, much younger. The, the, the red and purple and brown and gray bedrock, the quartzite of the Uintas, is half a billion years old. It's really hard, uh, really grainy. Uh, but, yeah, the the key was, you know, it's like, okay, if I'm going to write a book about the Uintas, I don't want to write a book that says, come here, you'll have a great time, because that's just not accurate. If, if you want to bag peaks in the Uintas, you're going to cross lots of talus and lots of boulders, and it's loose, and it's wobbly, and it's a, bit, a little bit scary. There are lots of other mountain ranges where you'll find a little bit more pleasant, kind of a grassy slope is the ultimate way. Up. Um, the Tushers here in, in central Utah, uh, are they're all grassy. You just walk up these beautiful meadows to the top of the mountain. That's a lot easier on your, uh, on your feet and on your mind than, than all of these red boulders that are moving around and wanting to hurt you. <laughs> and that's the Uintas. So yeah, yeah. lots of ridges, lots of talus, lots of uh, really slippery gullies. Um, and, you know, the, the future, I think, of the Uintas is, uh, is going to be ski mountaineering when the talus is covered. Um, and you don't have to deal with all of that. But to try to be accurate, yeah, there are wonderful peaks, beautiful basins, but they are loose and, and talusy and, and uh, not the easiest uh, to go up or down. You're right that the Uintas have a far northern feel. What do you mean there? I mean, like, 
you know, Wyoming, Alberta, just, it's the, what do I call it, the Hudsonian, Hyperborean, Alpine Splendor, uh, you know, elk country, wolf country, huge forests, uh, it feels different from, from really any other place in Utah, and it is a big range, it's, you know, uh, 100 miles long and 30, 30 miles wide, and there's a, a lot of really, really wild, uh, really, really wild country in there, and no ski lifts and, and no road goes right through it. So it's a it's a wilderness a wilderness experience for sure. You write that um, I mean there are, there are officially designated wilderness areas right in the in the the U.S. You say if if you count uh, sort of surrounding areas, um, this is a place as large as Yellowstone. Well, that's my calculation, and you know you had Margaret Pettis on Monday, and of course she and uh, Dick Carter did so much to uh, get that wilderness designation, uh, 460-some-odd thousand acres. I think it should be twice as big. But then if you throw in the Piedmont, the lower country, yeah, it ends up being about 2 million acres, which is the size of Yellowstone. And, uh, you know, it's it's a big range. It's not a narrow kind of uh, Rockies or Great Basin range. It's, and part of that's because, as you say, it goes east to west, and the way the glaciers carved it. Lots of river canyons on the north-south axis. Yeah. By the way, it's in, it's east-west orientation. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, would access the Uintas from the north side. Um, but of course, if you know, if you're in the Uinta Basin, you're accessing it from the south side. What are what are the differences? What are the appeals between uh, those two? Well, the difference between San Diego and Mountain View, um, the south slope starts quite a bit lower. Um, so unless you go up the road to Hell's Canyon or some other ones, you'll be walking uh, up a pretty long hill. The north slope starts uh, quite a bit higher, um, 9,000, 10,000 feet. So that is for a backpacker or a hiker, it's just easier. But, you know, on the other hand, the, the south slope has these just magnificent, large, long canyons because of all that uh, vertical gain. And, you know, the east end and the west end are also uh, really different. So it's, it's, it's great to have one range that has so much different character. Yeah. Uh, so you talk about the, no, uh, I guess, uh, this is not your coinage, right, uh, the Notorious Nine. Um, so, the, uh, so, so there's so many high peaks in the Uintas, but, the, but these are the nine highest, are they, that the, kind of the peak baggers like to go and, and get? Yeah, they're the nine highest that are officially named. There are about 20 peaks over 13,000 feet. And uh, some of them have been named in a book, uh, and I think the names are sort of dopey, like, you know, Rock Peak and, and so on. But anyway, there are 20 peaks, and peak baggers try to do try to do them all. The notorious nine are, are simply maybe the, the best known and, and the most officially uh, recognized. Mm-hmm. Uh, King's Peak is the, I think the the right officially highest in Utah, right? It is. Um, so you have a chapter on Clarence King. Tell me about him. Well, you know, he ended up, of course, we know now having quite an interesting life. I mean, the public life of Clarence King was, uh, at least until his his mining scandal, he was, uh, you know, a brilliant scientist. He led the expedition out to the Uintas and and. Uh, well, the whole 40th parallel when he was in his uh, 
20s and 30s, and um, he was founded uh, government bureaus, and he knew lots of influential people. He was in the White House. His, his uh, best friend was Henry Adams. Uh, and later in life, he, he led a, a secret life. Um, he was married to uh, uh, an African-American woman who lived in Brooklyn, had children with her, and uh, he claimed to be um, <clears throat> he claimed to be someone who worked on the railroad, and that explained his long absences. He had an entire other life out of the public eye, which really doesn't have much to do with the interest, but it does make a, a pretty interesting story. Uh, you know, I remember Charles Kuralt, uh the journalist. You know, when he passed away, we found out he had a, a whole other life. Uh, too, and you know that's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, I think when you like to get out into wilderness, it's a kind of a different life from your everyday. That's why people like it. But um, someone like Clarence King or Charles Kuralt maybe takes it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It was, it was fascinating to learn about uh, Clarence King. Uh, tell me about uh, some of your companions here. Maybe to, to talk a little bit about Larry Darkness. Larry Darkness was the, the friend that nobody could keep up with, um, and he was great to have around to uh, break trail or, or keep you going. He just didn't like to stop, and uh, um, you know, there's something there's something wrong with that. Lots of solar solo climbers uh, are that way, um, but to me, the the Cougar story was quite telling. He, of course, was way ahead of us and. And uh, had no idea he was being stalked by a cougar <laughs> because he didn't look around. He didn't stop and look backwards. He just just put put his head down and kept going. Mm. Yeah, this is it's interesting. I'm sure you bond in a way you wouldn't in the low country, right? You you get to know each other maybe in a way you wouldn't in in regular life. For sure, uh, and you know, again, the social part of it. You know, we were always trying to find uh, women to come along with this. You know, didn't want it just to be a boy. A boy band, but that's kind of how it turned out. And you know, I, I would have loved to have have done these things with people of color, but instead, I, I found colorful people, and uh, the, that social aspect of it was a big deal. Yeah, you do trust. You have to trust your your companions because you have to feel that if you get into trouble, they'll help you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just you know understood. Yeah, uh, tell me about T. He 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 figures uh, all throughout the book. Yeah, well, I don't want to don't want to spoil the ending, but mm-hmm. um, you know, T was the one that we all counted on. Uh, he, he was just a very gifted climber, root finder, uh, skier, a great skier, and so for many many years, um, you know, we spent a lot of time together. And when he started having problems, um, you know, we really we I say we I didn't know what to do. I I I just couldn't you know give him the advice or the help that um, that he needed or or you know and I think unfortunately that that's uh, for a lot of us you know it's like yeah you spend all this time with people but when when there's problems you don't really know what to do you want to do so much but you don't know what to do and sometimes you just can't do anything yeah. 
Um, you have a connection to Cache Valley. It was a strong connection. Uh, you went to USU, right? Um, uh, met your current wife, I believe, here. Absolutely, yes. Uh, she grew up in Logan. Um, <clears throat> Bobby Stearman and Ken Brewer's daughter. Um, and my uh, my family roots are, are, are deep in Logan. Um, my um, One of my great-grandfather's was Ralph Smith. He was a, a pretty important person in town of Justice of the Peace, and a great-great-grandmother was Emma Girdlestone, who survived the, the Willie Company um, handcart disasters. Her her parents died on the journey. Her father right out South Pass, and her mother right at the crossing of the Green. So she ends up in uh, Great Salt Lake City, 21 years old, English, and an orphan. So her story certainly is... Uh, Powerful, and there, are, you know, many many of those stories from uh, from uh, from our ancestors. Yeah, who, it, uh, you know, they didn't take the easy way. Right, yeah, certainly not. Yeah, it's quite the heritage. Uh, so you say it's it's kind of interesting. Your uh, your, your wife, um, you know, you met her. She she was into the outdoors, but maybe not in as extreme a way as you as you like to do. Well, yeah, and you know that has worked into a, a great situation, uh, you know, as, as one grows a little bit older, one becomes either lazier or, or just not as crazy. So, yeah, we, we spend a lot of time outdoors, and it's not always the gnarly hikes. It can be a pleasant drive or a nice afternoon of skiing, which is a great thing. You know, my friends aren't, aren't around anymore, so I have my wonderful wife. Yeah. And you say you continue to bond through skiing. Absolutely. Uh, it's just the one thing that we do where we never have any disagreements or problems. We just go out and, and do it. And, uh, you know, there aren't the kids or the grandkids or the pets or anything like that. It's just uh, a great thing to do. Yeah. Um, by the way, is uh, I don't know if you were, you know, when you when you met your wife and uh, and obviously then met Ken Brewer, were you, were you an aspiring writer at that time? And what... What uh, you know, Ken Brewer obviously is a, is a very well-known name, Utah Circles. I, I was, and the reason that I went to Utah State was because of um, Jack Spence, who uh, was an, uh, a chemistry professor at USU, who was retired. Who I met in um, when I was he was in Tucson, I was in Torrey, and he said, "Oh yeah, you should go to Utah State. There's a there's a great guy up there named Ken Brewer, and uh, and I already knew about Tom Lyon." And so, yeah, uh, it, it was really fun to uh, to have Ken and Bobby, um, uh, and to yeah, I was an aspiring writer. I wanted to learn how to write better, um, and that was really, I think, why I went there. And and I certainly had a lot of attention from Ken and Bobby and, and others, and it was a great experience. Best thing I've ever done, I think. Yeah, things that happened. You you went to maybe to become a better writer. Didn't think you'd didn't plan on marrying into the family, right? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> That was not my plan. Right. Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to uh, talk about dogs uh, after a break. Let's have a break. Um, you have a, a whole section here. On, I love the the photos. <laughs> um, Great. And it could be a good thing and a and a frustrating thing to have a have a dog up there on adventure with you. I guess mirroring it, just you know, having a dog in the park. Uh, great thing, frustrating thing. Uh, let's uh, have more with uh, Kevin Holdsworth. Redstone Heart is the uh, book following this break. 
on the next On Being. Nobel physicist Frank Wilczek on beauty as a compass for deep truth. I tried to write an equation which captured the way it should work, and the equation almost wrote itself. And it was just so pretty that I knew it had to be correct, and that turned out to be the key to a very important investigation. I'm Krista Tippett. Join us. Sunday mornings at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Hey, it's Francis Lamb. This week on our show, in honor of the depths of winter, we're all about soup. We talk with Jen Lewis, author of The Chicken Soup Manifesto, to get her tips and recipes from around the world. We taste canned chicken socks to find out which one we like best, and that's all coming up on The Splendid Table. Listen to The Splendid Table Sundays at noon here on UPR. Thanks for joining us on Access Utah. We're talking with Kevin Holdsworth. He's author most recently of Redstone Heart, Scrambling High Uinta Peaks. Um, and uh, he's on with us for another 10 minutes or so. I'm glad you've joined us uh, today. Uh, so, Kevin Holdsworth, um, before we get into uh, you know, talking about some, maybe some of the other dogs, I, I do want to, in this uh, bio is reading, you talk about uh, your dog Henry, you call the best gold retriever in the world. Uh, you say, fortunately, he went blind at age eight and deaf shortly thereafter. But uh, uh, as this bio was written, Henry was still going strong at 13. Tell me about Henry. Well, he's laying down right across the room. Um, golden retrievers have some, uh, because they've been a little bit too much inbreeding, they have these diseases that some of them get. Yeah, he went blind at eight, and... Uh, you know, he's the sweetest dog, and he's not much trouble. He's just blind and deaf and lays around a lot, but he's a good dog. <laughs> don't, don't do any hiking with him. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, how did he handle that? You, you go blind, and then you go deaf, I guess. So how you do know, you... he's just peaceful. Um, he's just got a sweet soul. You know, when he went blind, we, as we said to the, to the vet, you know, well, what do we do? And the vet said, well, don't move any furniture. But... <laughs> You know, because they feel their way around, but he, we have several, uh, several different places that we, we go, and he knows his way around each one. He'd never seen him. Never, he'd never seen um, our uh, Cedar City house, but he's able to go up the stairs and, and wander around. It's amazing. Well, I guess he has smell and touch, you know, for, yeah. to, to, go, to go on. Uh, in the book, you write about, uh, as you call him, he's a large Malamute, um, uh, his name is Lander, but you you kind of call him yeah. Lander on his own. Tell me about Lander. Yeah. Uh, Lander was a good dog. Well, so not a not, not a very obedient dog. We'll put it that way. <laughs> um, you know, he, a good dog is fairly obedient. A good dog generally won't just take off, and a, a really bad dog chases animals, and uh, certainly had to deal with that from time to time. Uh, a really bad dog that chases a moose. Uh, well, that's great, but then your really bad dog is gone, and you have to wait around and try to find it. So it can really be a miserable thing. Yeah. Good You're dogs, s- I wonder. And you say you can put a, a small pack on a dog. Uh, they can help out. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you keep it on a leash, and it's a, it's a little pack animal. Yeah. You know, not a poodle, but a 60- or 70-pound dog can carry 5 or 10 pounds and should. Yeah. Just don't uh, 
let the dog swim in the lake. With right. Dogs, or what's in your pack? <laughs> That's the story you tell. <laughs> and of course, everything in the pack gets uh, wet, right? Um, it does. Yeah. Uh, I wondered, do you have a passage you like to, to read from your, from your book? Well, let me just read this a little bit about dogs. Um, dogs on peaks, good. Dogs on snow, good too. It's great to watch them bound across the meadows where the streams run still and braided. How they leap across the hammocks, silly dogs, and chase each and every chipmunk and squirrel, never catching one. Maybe that's why that one attacked me. And act excited when we get ready to go somewhere, pacing and muzzling, but feign sudden incapacity, all stoved up and whimpering when we try to put the packs on them. Or to be grateful when finally played out, our best friends lay down and rasp a few in camp. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, you know, the same aspects as as, as anywhere, you know, in the low country. Yeah, dogs can be great companions and uh, Absolutely. keep you on your toes as well. Um, I wonder if you'd uh, 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 I've picked out a passage here, page 212. And uh, this gets us into... Uh, what you might think be the the principal goal of of peak bagging the view once you get from the top to the top uh, which you say can be problematic uh, you know if it's fogged in or whatever but you've uh, I guess you selected a particular peak which for its view at Wilson Peak so you talk about this here on page two twelve yeah and that's the cover of the book uh, you know again most Photographs from the tops of mountains just aren't that good. This one happens to be really wonderful. Uh, it shows Red Castle, the cosmic navel of the universe. That's probably why. Getting back to Wilson, the view from the top is very fine for several reasons. The actual summit is flat and good-sized. No hateful fault summits mar the ascent. From the summit platform, many pretty lakes mirror the sky. On the north side, a yawning red gulf falls away to the east, the whole gun site to Powell, Ridgeorama, stretches in candy apple red, and there's a whole lot of it. It contrasts very nicely with the blue-green lakes of the upper Red Castle, the green-black forest below, and the blue-gray Dun Bridger Valley beyond. Red Castle itself looms in layers, looking like a gigantic red castle. Nor is the southern sweep something you have to put a paper bag over. Over on the left stand kings and south kings, and there's no doubt that they stand regal with vast, gully run old western faces. On the back side, the long curve of the Yellowstone River stretches and spills all the way down to the low country. Yes, Wilson Peak is right in the middle of the big stuff. From Tokawana to Gilbert to Emmons, Utah's pilasters are laid out for anyone to see. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. And that, that is the cover. Yeah, that is beautiful. Uh, you, uh, one thing I, I would have thought you probably encounter being up that high, and you do talk about it in the book, is lightning. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to learn quite a bit about lightning. <laughs> what have you learned, and, and, and from experience, I guess, or near experience, right? What, what have you learned? Uh, to, to, to try to avoid it. <laughs> How do you do that? Uh, you, you don't arrive at the summit at 1 o'clock. Uh, that's when um, the, that's when the lightning happens. That sounds yeah, uh, early afternoon, um, and 
got knocked down one time by a by a bolt, and uh, a lot of other times, just the fear that uncontrollable fear when a bolt hits nearby, you you really just feel like running, and uh, and you feel other things as well. So, you know, even if it didn't kill you, it sure feels like it could have, and you sure you sure want to learn not to do it again and to try to get up and get down before the lightning strikes. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a, it's a scary thing. <laughs> yeah, I haven't encountered it. Reading this in the book, I I can imagine. Um, so uh, uh, during winter, uh, again, not a whole lot of climbing in the middle of winter, right? But there's planning, you say. That's, and that that captivated me in the book. You you with your friends, you'd be poring over maps. So I guess about right now, that's the kind of thing you'd be doing: dreaming, planning. Absolutely, you know, and and uh, and T's uh, had a room in in his house that we called the map room, and he on the walls were these large uh, maps of the of the Uintas and the Wind Rivers, and we would just go in there uh, and and say, well, why don't we go over there and look at that? That must be great, you know. It wouldn't bore anybody else to tears, but we loved it, and uh, just talking and planning and and scheming, I think a big part of it. Yeah, sure. I love this, but I'll just read this. We do not unfurl our maps in my lovely Jennifer's presence. <laughs> no, she would denigrate our activity and place unfavorable words, including stupid, pointless, really? And here we go again, if we did. <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's that divide. You you're, uh, you love that adventure, and uh, she likes, I guess, like a lot of us, a little bit tamer pursuits in the outdoors. She does, but to be honest, right now she can kick my butt. So. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so as as you age, you know, not calling you old, but as you get a little older, what hey. what what are the you know modifications? What are the compromises that you have to make? Well, you learn you don't have to walk fifteen miles. Um, you can it seems to me experience just as much in two miles. Um, spend a lot more time looking. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just have a couple of minutes left. Um, I wonder what's your what's your takeaway from you know you've 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 bagged many peaks. You've been out there many years. A special love for the Uinta Mountains. What, what would you leave us with with in, with regard to the Uintas? Well, you know, my goal is really to to uh, particularly right now when we're having all this woe, um, where, wherever it is, the Uintas or wherever your special places, get out there, enjoy it. Uh, it's so different and so, uh, I think, rewarding, you know, in terms of the whole uh, adventure. The things that you see, that you discover, the people you, you do it with, and it doesn't have to be bagging a peak. But um, I think, you know, to try to encourage people to get out there, that's, that's I think, a, a goal. Because it, it just is, a, you know, again, you can do it walking in a city or... Around the Great Basin, there, there's a lot out there in our world, and the experience is, is definitely worth it. Maybe if it's tuned up a little bit, a little bit more exciting, but, you know, if, if we're lucky to, to live this long, we want to keep enjoying and seeing new things. And uh, just at the end, uh, what about your students? You teach English, right? Teach writing. Um, what, uh, but uh, do you have do you have students who come through who share this uh, sort of this adventurous uh, spirit. What do you tell them? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in central Utah, there's nothing to do. So 
everybody goes outdoors and they they ride their ATVs, they ride horses, and they really have a passion uh, for for the land. It's not the same passion that some suburban kid might have, but it's a deep kind of love and respect uh, for the, the landscape. And, you know, I think people are proud of, of uh, you know, Lake and there's the, the Boulder Mountain and there's the Red Rock and there's the it's right there and and uh, people are coming from all over the world to see it and and I think be proud of the landscape of rural Utah. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Uh, the book is Redstone Heart: Scrambling High Uinta Peaks. It's available now. Kevin Holdsworth is the author. Kevin Holdsworth, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Tom. It's been great. And I uh, hope you join us tomorrow. We're talking with Julie Kawamoto. Uh, she's uh, written a new book. It's called Forced Out, A Nikkei Woman's Search for a Home in America. Very interesting uh, part of history uh, there. We'll talk with Julie Kawamoto tomorrow. Hope you'll be with us then. Thanks for listening today. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. Macy taught me though was how to walk a runway, how to tilt my pelvis and tuck in my stomach and keep my chin up. And she encouraged me to enter every beauty contest that came to the state of Alabama. And I did, and some of them I won. Like Miss Talladega 500 Raceway. Join us next time for the Moth Radio Hour. True stories told live from the Public Radio Exchange, prx.org. Friday mornings at 11 on Utah Public Radio.